and welcome to the Ski Racing Podcast with me, Ed Drake, Ben and Marcel are back to discuss a historic weekend of ski racing and it is going to be an absolute belter of a pod. Uh, just to bring you up to date with everything that happened over the weekend, the opening Harnham come downhill on a slightly shortened course was won by Kilder, uh, his first winning Kitzbühel. Second was French veteran, 41-year-old Johan Claret. Uh, and surprise third position was a Kandahar ski racing member, Blaise Giesendana. Uh, so pleased for that guy to get onto the podium. Odomat was fourth. We doubted whether it'd be a threat and doubtably, arguably, um, his third best discipline. But uh, he was again right at the sharp end and he followed up with second in the downhill race on the second of the two downhills uh, the first was it was won by Beat Foyt claiming his first victory of the season which was a pretty decent result for him in the end a terrible news in Cortina which hosted a back-to-back speed race Sofia Goggia won the downhill in a wild and brilliant run ahead of Siebenhofer and Estela Detska but the Super G saw her crash out from the lead and real high speed shocker crash and learned later that she d- damaged her left ACL and is in doubt for the Olympic Games and then Cortoni took the win Tipler in second and Gissin rounding out the top three and then today on Tuesday the women were in Krumplatz which saw Sarah Hector win yet again on the GSKs. Petra Vlhova are back on the podium and Ben's favourite Tessa Wally picking up the final step on the podium and then to tonight we saw a pretty fantastic race. Lena Strasser had a belter of a second run to go up into the lead. Then second place was Atli Lee McGrath with his first slalom podium. And then Mr. Manu Feller with his own second run charge, which seems to be boring because everybody's doing it, picking up a Austrian podium, a third position from him. But straight to the most important thing about the weekend, the most exciting part of the weekend, which is obviously the downhill races. Isn't that right, Ben? anything to add i think we're done with the pot you told you said everything <laughs> i've got to bring you up to date marcel but we'll kick off with the most important thing which is obviously the downhills and then we might talk about some slalom i think you found out ed that slalom is easily the most exciting of all the disciplines uh, based <laughs> on the uh, commentary that you sent us uh, of yourself commentating on that race for uh, the american listeners <laughs> yeah, well, they're sick of hearing me shouting at them i think Realistically, the most exciting thing of the whole weekend was Hirsch being a forerunner by the media attention he got of that. <laughs> That's actually, unfortunately, really true. The biggest the, the biggest story before Dave Riding picking up that historic win was Hirsch back on his uh, new skis. But anyway, Dave Riding, what a bloody brilliant race that was. Um, I couldn't believe it. It was it's historic. It's for, historic for so many reasons. Obviously, picking up the win, but what a moment for ski racing history. Uh, ben, what do you make of it, dude? Uh, I was all over the place. Uh, I was jumping around the living room. I was screaming, and then I was just sitting in probably a stunned silence for probably about 10, 15 minutes, just wandering around my house afterwards. Um, it was absolutely incredible. Um, the, the whole race was, I mean, it was absolutely chucking down with snow. Um, but even then the conditions didn't look terrible visibility didn't look great Uh, so picking up the picking up the ruts wouldn't have been uh, too easy but at the same time that skiing from Dave both runs just so solid I've I've never seen him so comfortable going so fast like you look like you see kind of like 10-15 turns and then a bit of a mistake and on his really good days he recovers really quickly, but 
he barely put a foot wrong on, on either run. Um, and especially on that second run after Christopherson had done his thing and put down that absolutely massive charge. You could see the nerves starting to go through the other races as they were coming down. Um, so, yeah, for Dave to hold it together, put it onto the top step and then just kind of sit there and wait as everyone else then started uh, losing their nerve as well. It was just it was absolutely brutal to watch, but I've never been so happy. I mean, how, how amazing is that? Dave Riding, 35 years of age from Great Britain, wins a World Cup. I mean, it can't get any better. And you know what? It was the best thing to see that everyone loved it. Like any nation, any coach, any racer. I mean, the media in the UK is a bit rubbish. But other than that, like it, it was unbelievable. Like everyone was so happy for him. And I think the most impressive was when he was skiing in the second run in the midst of the steep part where it was like really quickly set and everyone was struggling there and he was skiing it so smart like it was just so much better than everyone else and you know what like you say that it was just his day and he deserved that day more than anyone else because if you look what the Austrians and other nations put into ski racing and then you get Dave riding learning it on the dry slopes pushing it all and then Honestly, getting that win is unbelievable. Yeah, I've got goosebumps even remembering back. His first run was um, was really tidy, really fast from Bib 15. Not great draw, terrible conditions, but a massive shout out to the Austrians uh, and the, the course crew and the local organising committee for working absolutely tirelessly from basically the Friday lunchtime through until about 10, 10 minutes before the start of the second downhill because they shifted over a half a metre of fresh snow. They were up all through the night and it just meant that we had the most amazing spectacle to get that race done. But yeah, first run was epically calm, cool, collected. And then that second run, we've spoken about it on the uh, WhatsApp group. Um, it was a really, really difficult set by the Italian guy. And I thought when I was commentating on it, I was like, he's, they've obviously been training this. The Italians have obviously been away at a place with this crazy terrain that you see in Kitzbühel um, with all of these offset hairpins set very difficultly, a hugely technical course set. And I was like, you know, the Italians have nailed this if they've been, because they will have been training this, but no Italian really nailed it apart from Mauerberger who went really early on. And then you're right, Marcel, Dave was the only person that looked like he could deal with that run and he didn't put a foot wrong. But the minute he crossed the line, I knew that he'd got a podium and I think, again, if you haven't heard that, me being a cheerleader on the commentary, then uh, you'll see it on the podcast extra. But um, I knew that he'd got a podium there and then because I just didn't see anybody else skiing as tidy and as clean as he had. Nobody could get, nobody was going to get close to him. The only person that did and uh, that uh, probably was the best chance to upset the apple cart for, from our perspective was Ratzoli, who really did chuck it away in those uh, last like six or seven gates. He doesn't ever seem to change how he skis and I might have said this last week but it seems to work in any conditions I know he skied out again tonight and we'll get onto that but he just he doesn't seem phased by anything right so probably because he's been there and done it all but it's really impressive to see when the conditions have been so varied this year that he just skis the same he takes the same line he has the same kind of really composed style and he looks so calm and I was, to be honest with you, I was surprised when he skied out. I thought he, I thought he was going to 
ruin everything. Um, and make he'd done the hard. Bad. He'd done the hard work, hadn't he? At that point, he really had. Um, but yeah, no party spoilers. Um, the pressure obviously got to uh, Vinazza and couldn't deal with that. I felt a bit sorry for the guy. A bit like again with um, uh, Jakobsen this evening, just not able to get it across the line. But um, it is it is historic for so many reasons, and I love the way that this is. You know, Dave's ski racing story has been an inspiration from the get-go with the with the fact that he's you know tra- trained for so many years without getting a podium. He's been stuck with by the federation, stuck with by his coaches, and stuck with you know his own belief. Because as we've said hundreds of times before, he wasn't very good when he first started doing fizz. He really wasn't. He's the first person to admit that he was not a great ski racer when he first started his fizz racing career, and it's just dogged determination and. Almost, almost like stubbornness that he's not going to give up and he's not going to, um, you know, he's going to he's going to follow through with his belief that he could be one of the best in the world, if not the best in the world, and he bloody did it. And it's a great show for any kid, whether he's a Brit or you know a lowlander or you know somebody from middle America that doesn't ski every day, that hasn't got skiing on there uh, out the front of their house. So I think it's it is just incredible and what an inspirational story um, for. For, for all ski races and I think everybody's take, sitting up and taking notice I mean Netflix make a movie <laughs> Somebody, <laughs> somebody's <laughs> already started you can guarantee it um, I, this I mean this year's been brilliant for stories like this you know like Stroltz was only a couple of weeks ago and we we're talking about the guy who'd been dropped he's you know as far as an Austrians are concerned probably too old to be coming back on the team yeah and then out of nowhere puts puts the win in, you know. Then we've got Dave. You know, we've had other people who've been around for ages. Like you've got Ratsoli. You've got Ratsoli coming back. De Grobo limping into retirement, um, hopefully. Um, and it's it's incredible. And to be honest, you know, perhaps Dave being able to put in performances like this, as well as Stroltz's performance as well, might be something for some of the like, other nations to take note of in terms of these days you can still be in your kind of athletic peak in your mid thirties. Like, yeah, okay. Not everyone's going to be up Tom Brady or anything like that, but you don't have to have like made it by the time you're 21, just because some people have that ready to go when they're 21, like these Norwegians seem to have at the moment. Some people do take that bit longer to really understand the sport. And obviously if you're a federation, you can't just be throwing money at people who might never make it, but, you know, they've, they've both shown this year that, you know, you can definitely reach the heights way beyond like your mid twenties when people expect that to be the absolute kind of pinnacle of your peak performance. I agree. If you look at the, if you look at the rankings and stuff, like there are so many people in there that are 30 and above. It's actually crazy. It seems like besides a couple of people who are obviously very young, like Odermatt and the Norwegians and stuff, it takes longer to get into like the world that top um, and which, which is really interesting to see because a couple of years back, like, I mean, I remember the Austrian team when you're like 25 and you're not like on like somewhere in the top 15, they're like basically telling you, well, I think it's about time for you to stop now. <laughs> you're never going to make it. Which is yeah, like, yeah. which is ridiculous. I mean, and, and they, they show it, but obviously not everyone has like can do that, you know. Like a lot of people in those national teams, 
who get dropped like they can't they simply can't afford it because it's an it's expensive like obviously different story with dave but um strolls like it's super expensive for him to do that the whole year like and there are lots of artists doing the same thing and it, and it's just it, it's it's a shame because some people show that it's possible yeah i mean i i just don't think i mean we've had this discussion loads about about the cost of ski racing I, you just can't get i don't know how you get around it it's i don't know how you it can become a cheaper sport because it's it's just impossible there's so much travel there's so much raw costs involved um so of course you know some at some point the nations are going to decide that you're not good enough and and not worth the investment and that's the cut and driver is that sport is business now isn't it it's not about um not necessarily about the fairy tale it's about return uh but it's so great to see look at how strolz has now gone from strength oh excuse me he's gone from strength to strength he's you know that result and then he was fifth and then he was um you know, and, skiing he really, and then he was skiing really quick today. Yeah, but then he crashed. But he was skiing really quick today. So yeah. none of this stuff. It's not a flash in the pan where he's won a race because he got lucky with conditions or whatever. Like the guy is now a legit contender in the top seven, I reckon. And uh, as we can see, you can win from pretty much anywhere as long as you get a second run at the moment in slalom. <laughs> Fucking hell. Yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Well, it was, it was very almost Billy's day on that race as well he missed that flip by six hundredths didn't he and I was just thinking with the form he's shown on Europa Cup this year what what would he have done with going down first on that second run we saw the charge that Christofferson put in um I was I was absolutely gutted for him but obviously I'm sure watching his his teammate take take the win probably cheered him up a bit at the end of that and then obviously he had a a cracking result today but I mean yeah I, I still I still kind of can't believe it every now and then I like pop on social media and see a, a, a post that someone's kind of getting around to someone from uh, back in the day that we used to ski with is is, is you not heard from them in forever and all of a sudden you're seeing them posting about Dave and it's brilliant to think how many people he would have kind of competed with and against and uh, parents of, of people that he's kind of it, it's clearly touched so many people over here in, in the racing community and Marcel like you said that the rest of the country I don't think there was a single federation that didn't put up a that's amazing. Dave Ryder, an inspirational message. Um, so it's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I think, can't, yeah. can't be any more chuffed for him. Yeah, Dave Ryder's everybody's second favourite ski racer, apart from us, who's, who's our favourite. Go um, on the Brits. Yeah, you might as well turn a Brit. Oh, the Brit already. One week he's, oh, the Swiss have got the best fans. They're so amazing. This week he's like, oh, British have got great fans. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, my I'm a- I'm a success fan, you know. I just go with, I just go like glory uh, hunter. With the wind. Yeah, I'm a glory hunter. That's it. Look at you. Now, um, I don't know. Yeah, it was, it was, it was quite the emotional day. I mean, I've just about managed to hold it together. And uh, I think Nick, Nick and Finley also sounded like they struggled from the clips that I heard of their skiing. And I, I think there was a lot of people that, um, that uh, got a, a few bits in their eyes and, you know, watery eyes because, you know, just a bit of no tears, obviously, no tears. Um, but no, it's, it was a fantastic day. I don't know how you repeat it. Up. But for me, I think for Dave, it's probably a weight off his shoulders as opposed to a weight on his shoulders for repeating performances. What do you guys reckon? Well, he didn't he say it's like he knew that it would be like less and less races that he could make get a win because, I mean, he's not the youngest anymore, let's be honest. And I think it probably would have been one of his... I'm not going to say he's going to retire, but you need the race that is literally it was it was just there but there are not that many more chances for him like this um 
obviously he's gonna be he's gonna do well, but God knows how many races he's gonna win. Well, well, there's only what I mean. There's nine World Cup slaloms this year. I mean, in reality, you know, Dave, I, I anticipate him going on for a couple of years at least because he's making uh, too much money at the moment. So I don't think he's going to be chopping it in uh, whilst he's still going quickly. But, um, you know, nine races a year. What have you got? Two, three, two, three years left in you. So, you know, 20 odd, if you're lucky, chances for another win because you'll probably DNF a couple. You'll probably miss a couple, you know, so... It's not an awful lot of opportunities, really. I'm thinking about it, it sounds a bit scary, actually. Just just whistling his days down for him. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to say, if you're looking at uh, Manny Mulg, uh, Dave, Dave will still be firing for the uh, next Olympics. Uh, I think Dave said in one of his interviews, if he's uh, if he's still ski racing at the next Olympics, Mandy's going to divorce him before she's even married him. I mean, if he wins three slalom globes in a row, she won't be divorcing him. No, well, she'll be, uh, she'll be gets, making like, sure there's no prenup. If he if he wins three kids bills in a row with like a hundred grand each prize money, no problem. We I did uh, we did manage to sneak a couple of interviews, one from Dave. Uh, and one from Jai, who's the serviceman. So if any of you saw, uh, the, hopefully you guys all saw the racing from the weekend, but the guy that was going crazy and super emotional at the start after the race was uh, Jai Gaya, who's um, Dave's technician, who's been there for, uh, I think, pretty much near enough the beginning when Dave and Tristan first started working together back in 2010. So it was a, a super emotional moment for him. But yeah, we managed to sneak a couple of interviews. Thanks to Chris Cummings, our friend over in Austria, who managed to speak to Dave and then speak to Jai. Well, this is surely the biggest day in British ski racing history. Britain has a World Cup race winner and Dave Riding has won the big one. He has won the classic slalom in Kitzbühel at the Hanenkamp race weekend. I caught up with him fresh after lifting the trophy, this big kind of mountain chamois, and asked him how it felt, what went through his mind during that moment when it had been confirmed that he had won the race not much it was just crazy like i when i saw the green light after my run i let out all my emotion um and then yeah i just held the lead held to the win and you have to feel sorry for the guy that's leaning and doesn't get it to the finish how he wants i've been in the same position so yeah respect but uh it's crazy and i'm beyond words really i don't know what to say i don't know what to do just you know let it sink in you are 35 years old now, and, and you had this uh, near miss in Kitzbühel, if you like, a, a few years ago, as well as one in, in Levy. Did you ever feel that you'd missed that chance to become a, a World Cup race winner, that uh, that opportunity had been and gone? Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I was leading in Levy once and fell over. And then, you know, I'd thrown it away in fourth in Madonna, and, uh, you know, I was thinking, that's maybe my last chance, who knows. But you push out the gate, you give it your all, and... Today I was the best. I guess everything's quite fresh. Have you had time to think about that journey you've been on from training as a child, as a youngster, on a, a plastic uh, sheet of uh, fake brushes, basically, up in Northern England, and now you've just won the biggest race on perhaps the most iconic uh, slalom piste in the world? Yeah, it's just a crazy journey. Uh, it shows that if you keep working, that you can do some crazy things in life wherever you're brought up. Um, I've had a lot of support from family um, sponsors, federation, you know, 
it's, that have got me here, but, you know, just never stop believing, always working. One day better than the next. That's all you can do. This is a moment to soak up a piece of history, but of course the Olympic Games are just around the corner. There's Schladming, another big race, in a few days' time, and then it is time for the Olympics. Uh, what does this victory mean for you in terms of preparation? It just takes a lot of pressure off. You know, whether I do whatever at the Olympics is so feels a million miles away at the moment. Um, but yeah, obviously... I've shown I'm fast, but the Olympics is one race, one day, and it's in China, so try and get over the jet lag first. We see you uh, winning this race, but you see a team behind you. Can you just tell me a little bit about your team and, and what they mean to you? Yeah, it's a crazy, crazy journey, and it's a crazy amount of effort from the team. My coach, they've all put their life, put my skiing before their lives. We're out here, we're not at home, we can't go home so easily. My coach has two young daughters, you know, and he still comes out here. We're out here 200 days a year. Um, probably a bit crazy, but yeah, it's a lot of respect to them. And thankfully, it's paid off. I also, straight after the race, caught up with Jai Geyer, Dave Riding's technician. And he was uh, the most emotional guy uh, when it was confirmed that Dave had won. We saw him openly uh, sobbing and, uh, you know, putting his head to the snow. It was beautiful to watch the cameras kind of panned in on him. I asked Jai when I saw him why he was so emotional. I don't know what was going through my mind, to be honest. Uh, just, you know, the emotions coming out. Um, not ashamed to show it, the passion. Um, and it's just representative of, of what's gone in. You know, what Dave's put in, what Tristan, Tristan Glass Davis, his coach, has put in for so long. And uh, he's come close, you know, a number of times. Everyone kind of remembers Levy. He was in that winning position and went out. And, and twice this year he's, he's straddled, you know, that was really painful. Um, so he's, he's, he's achieved every position in, in slalom in World Cup from 28th all the way down to second, but obviously never won one until today. So that was very special. He had this uh, stomping run in the second run and he was in his handy position being fifth after the first run. Did you start to believe at that point that he could do it? Yeah, I began to because I could see that the course was, was very difficult. The conditions were difficult. And I know that suits Dave, uh, his strategy and... His technique is, is very solid. Um, he's a bit risk averse, so he's intelligent on some of the terrain. And I expected uh, some of the guys who were ahead of him on the first one to go out, um, you know, just because of the, the nature of how some of them are so on the limit, um, which of course is very, very fast um, when, it, when it comes off. And I know Dave's pretty solid. So I, I began to think, you know, yeah, the, the, he'll get on the podium here. I can expect a couple going out. Not the win. Um, not necessarily the win, but uh, yeah, he did it. Now, uh, you know Dave so much better than any of us. Uh, you know what he's like. You see what we don't see. We see him skiing in the races. Can you tell me a little bit about what Dave does behind the scenes to get into this position that he can win these massive races? Dave stays in, in great shape by putting in a lot of hard work in the off-season. Se off um, he also came to the sport a bit later. So in, the, in his early, more formative years, he didn't put tons of miles on the clock, you know, so to speak. Uh, and a bit of luck as well, you know, he stayed injury-free for the most part. Um, and basically, he's, his strength training programme um, has never goes away. You know, he keeps his back in pristine condition, which is, uh, 
quite a thing for a slalom racer at 35, a whole career on the ice and the amount of volume of training that Dave does, uh, testament to his, uh, the work he puts in physically as well. And tell me a little bit about your job. It must be, uh, tell me a little bit about your job. Often the role of a technician is somewhat overlooked. What do you have to do on a snowy day like this to get him just ready? Yeah, my role is, is basically to prepare the skis um, day in, day out for training and racing um, and communicate with Dave about the setup and how he wants the skis finished and tuned. Um, and that plays a, a huge role in the, the feeling he gets and indeed the performance. Um, you know, it's kind of Goldilocks stuff. It's, it's not too much and um, you know, just right, just optimal. You know, not too much grip, not, not, not enough grip, something that he can handle and attack on. And getting that balance is, is tricky. Um, so that must be a, a real matter of trust. Yeah, my role is, is basically to prepare the skis um, day in, day out for training and racing um, and communicate with Dave about the setup and how he wants the skis finished and tuned. Um, and that plays a, a huge role in the, the feeling he gets and indeed the performance. Um, you know, it's kind of Goldilocks stuff. It's, it's not too much and um, you know, just right, just optimal. You know, not too much grip, not, not, not enough grip, something that he can handle and attack on. And getting that balance is, is tricky. Of course, usually uh, the guy on the top of the podium at this stage after the Kitzbühel race, it's someone from one of the big federations, say Switzerland or Austria or Norway or even the USA. Uh, Great Britain's a smaller federation. Uh, what sort of difference does that make? What sort of extra challenges do you have? Yeah, it's just totally against the odds. Um, you know, the... the, the ch if, if, you, if you look more into Dave's story and his background and his journey to getting here, you just think, you know, this is incredible. From the dry ski slopes, um, 12 seconds long on plastic bristles, all the way to the, the top step of the podium on, on the World Cup. Uh, it's just unbelievable. There's, there's no other word for it. Um, and full credit. And finally, the Olympics are coming up, of course. Uh, uh, this must be such a boost ahead of that. But what are your expectations going into this event these olympic games i mean whatever happens this season uh, it'll be a, a very special one remembered forever i think um anything can happen at the olympics you know it's anybody's race there's been upsets there's been favorites go out uh but yeah the the, the cream rises to the top normally it's it's you know you've got to be you've got to be at the business end of these world cups to put yourself in a good position for the olympics but absolutely anything can happen one in one race every four years it's anyone's game in that top 15, maybe even top 30. You know, we saw Bratton the other the other day, you know, win from a, a start number of two on the second run, lying in 29th after the first one. So, yeah. So thanks, Christian, for those interviews. Great to hear from the main man himself and the guys on the ground. So thanks again for that. Um, but before we stop the Dave Appreciation podcast, uh, we are going to carry on talking about another story that started to emerge, obviously nowhere near as big, but uh, the, the, one of them is that Mickey Matt managed to uh, sneak his way into the Austrian Olympic squad uh, and found himself a, a ticket to Beijing after that fourth place. Marcel, you're probably the best person to talk about uh, this for con us. Controversial, right? But I mean, thing is, the Austrians apparently got like, they, they, could, they can stay at the Crazy Kangaroo for a night for free. So I guess that was... <laughs> You're saying the wheels have been greased and the uh, mats have been making it uh, a little easier for the Austrian Ski Federation to make that call. 
hot news. App- apparently, they have like a season ender, the crazy kangaroo, and that's why he could. Like... <laughs> <laughs> it's it, it's a pretty tough one to work out. Obviously, the fact that he then got that result is was was good for him coming forth in in, in Kitzbühel and. You know, I was saying last week, I, I don't know how he's still floating around those first two groups because he hadn't put a result. I think he had one fourth last year or, or maybe a third, but he's he's really not looked himself for a few years now. Same thing. So, mate. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's it's, it's too it's old. Really Get rid tough. of him. No one ever does <laughs> it when they're old. <laughs> it's really t- it must be it must be really tough for the officers because they keep showing like guys come through show a flash of what they're capable of and then either get injured or drop away again. So a bit like we saw with Gastron, he's got, a, the speed is there. It feels like they're just going with, you know, the known quantity um, with, with Matt and, and saying, well, you know, he might not be the fastest, but he, he hopefully won't just completely bin it in the slalom. Go on, I mean, it's such, a, it's such a tricky one, right? I mean, they both... I don't. I don't necessarily think that Matt wouldn't have not deserved to be selected. Maybe Shrine would have deserved it more from like the, the speed and like. But they haven't put down like the best results. I mean, I'm not saying it's 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 bad results, but both of them were on a on a pretty same level. And actually, yeah, I mean, if you think about his brother, like he was, he fell out of the top sixty. And then Olympic champ. And then Olympic champ a year later. So that might be the mutt way to do it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think I think that neither of them, because Strine didn't do himself any favours. He didn't really make a good case for himself having DNF. Yeah, he's been quick on runs and we know that he's obviously the future, whereas Michael Matt, potentially, I mean, but who knows, obviously, as we've seen and spoke about already, is potentially not the future. But um Big call, anyway. Big decisions, and I don't know. With Gastrint DNFing again today in Schladming, it's sort of one of those where the Austrian selectors maybe sort of feeling a little bit relieved that, that he didn't go and do a do a tangy neff and finish in the top ten in front of everybody else yeah. that was racing. But yes, also, go on, Marcel. Sorry, but there is like on the on the Austrian team, there are a couple of controversial names on there, like Max Franz. Yes. Like he's, there was this guy, Feierstein, you and we all remember him from Alta Badia. He didn't have like another like really top result, but he came fourth in Alta Badia with like by far the best run time in the second run. And I mean, to be fair, they're lacking like GS gears. Um, so why, why would you take five or six speed races when you have like another GS gear? You know, it's kind of, I think it's always a bit heartbreaking if, Somehow, like Ryan Feuerstein can't get on the team, but I guess I mean in the end it will it will also we will also see about it. I mean if if they win medals, it's gonna be all fine. If they don't, it's gonna be obviously being discussed. Clearly, are, are the Austrians particularly mad about this criteria for how many spots you get? Well, they bloody shouldn't be because they've got eleven for both at, for both men and women, which is the maximum. So they can't be pissed off, surely. They were so pissed off because they only got nine spots in first place, um, and then they, and, the two, and then they said, "You either gonna give us the handbag, or we gonna complain about the races that have been happening, the exotic races, as they call them." <laughs> so they get their spots back. Well, that sounds sounds very seedy. The exotic races. No, they call them. They call them the exotic races on the on the newspapers and stuff. I mean, 
like understandable you want to have the best races at the olympics i don't know what is wrong with the system but on the other hand like i mean if there is someone from mexico hey hubertus no offense <laughs> um, because he's like a family friend but i mean it's like, it's like honestly if he's there like what what harm does it do i mean come on like just let him ski down i, I love seeing them anyway i don't yeah i'm 100 with you marcel i don't i don't see why it matters if we have 80 starters or 100 starters the winners that's not where the winner's going to come from and nobody you know i don't know anybody that watches the olympics and goes those guys no, it's, it's actually better for us as well because it's in in china so it's like so it's like in the middle of the night anyway so if we can like drag it out a bit it might get a bit it might get a bit later for us just put another hundred in there i mean we we've been like a lot of nations as you say myself been stitched stitched up a little bit with the with the handbacks obviously from our perspective with the men you've got um dave and laurie going but the fact is that uh, dave and billy going sorry and laurie's not going and he was 26th in world cup charlie Raposo's not going and uh, yeah he made world cup points in the parallel event and obviously there's a team parallel so you know that's a potential good opportunity that we're not going to get either so um i think it's really difficult hands have been tied and from us from a british perspective i know firsthand that we only could select those guys and the um the federation gbs gb Snowsports have um, lobbied the boa to accept handback spots which which the olympic association has never done before because of the, the pace and the form of the rest of the guys on the team and the British Olympic Association said that they would accept which they've never done before said they would accept it because of how well the guys are doing uh, and so it just shows that, that, that you're right Marcel that there's something wrong with the system rather than wrong with uh, with the way that a lot of countries are being forced to um, accept these places but yeah tough one I think lots of, but, but in, again, at the end of the day, the people that would win the Olympic medals are going to be at the Olympic Games. So in, in all seriousness, I mean, barring a crazy weather anomaly, the best people that would win the Olympic medals are going. Except for slalom, because at the rate we're going, anyone can win. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, Tangi Neff could have won. Gastrike potentially could win. But... Um, yeah, anything to add, Mr. Clark over there? Stedman. He wants to say that Steve Grover should have been selected as well. Yeah, he's loving. He's got his De Gruber flags out. He's waving them. He's got a De Gruber mask, like those day riding masks in the finish. That's why I want to see him on the pod. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going to get one. I'm going to get one. Set fire birthday. to it. <laughs> going to tattoo it on his face. I'm telling you, he should just be the service man for Strolls and get it over and done with. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, any anything to add, Steph, man? No? no stats today. No stats. No stats. There's been no no uh, record performances over the last couple of days. Um, what about Gizin? Uh, um, Holdener. Any stats on that? You've got. You had your Holdener stats. I told I you we'll do some more next time. It's a next time it's a oh, World Cup, darling. Don't can't don't just try be, and tease us with the stats. <laughs> tease us with the stats. Bring them out. You're such a tease, man. It's ridiculous. Actually. <laughs> Um, okay, so should we talk about the other races that went on? Yeah, Which other races. I think I think there was the the Hanenkam, the downhill, the Strife was in action. 
uh, with a new course set uh, at the bottom. Um, but the first race was slightly lowered start. Didn't really, I mean, it did take in the mouse of Isla, but didn't really have, it didn't have the jump, didn't have the air because uh, the wind conditions at the top meant that they just started a tiny bit lower. Uh, and it was a cracking day for the French, really, with the eldest man ever to be on a World Cup podium, Mr. Johan Claret, 41 years old, um, put his Zimmer frame to one side, skied down, came second. Um, Blaise Giesendana uh, pulled out a podium from um, like Bib 43. <laughs> I just have this image in my head now of him having a Zimmer frame at the start. <laughs> just chucking it away. Woof, I'm ready. To be Push fair, him out. Like- the technician he, pushes him out the gate. He can't do a start anymore. It's a bit, it's a bit boring because he just only broke his own bloody record, you know? It's like <laughs> he was the oldest and now he's the oldest again. Like, we need someone else. And Kilda picked up his first ever win on the Honeycomb. Um, go, discuss. Clary's had 221 World Cup starts. That's a lot of downhills and Super Gs to be throwing yourself down. Like, I don't even want to know what his knees and ankles might look like on an X-ray or MRI or something. They must be battered. But, I, I mean, what skiing? He he just likes the big marquee events, doesn't he, Clary? He, he always shows up for that. World Cup podium. He's got five World Cup podiums in Kitzbühel alone, I think, now after that one. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's, it's amazing how sometimes there's just a, a track or a slope that, you somehow you just have the absolute feel for obviously that we talk about with uh, Paris and, and Bormio. Um, but you know, it's, it's brilliant for him. And again, we, we talked about it in the slaloms and some of the guys being, you know, in, in their, in their thirties, uh, you know, there's a, a, a mixture of guys past 30 and then a bunch of teenagers taking it to them. It's, it's brilliant to see Clare still being able to perform at this level. Yeah, it was epic. It was absolutely epic. But yeah, he said he said in, in his interview afterwards that it, it was only like four or five years ago that he actually started enjoying skiing the Hanukkah because he said he never enjoyed skiing it. And then all of a sudden it clicked. Something changed. Um, and he started really looking forward to ski racing on it. And, and that was obviously the difference. But pretty In his bloody. mid-30s. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I might retire. Oh, no, I'm going to do Kitzbühel one more time. Then he nails it. And then he's like, right, well, may as well stick around. Just pick up some serious prize money. I, I have to throw something controversial in here. I thought, I thought it was very boring. And Marcel has been kicked out of the... Uh, it's just me and Ben from here on in. <laughs> Marcel has left the group. <laughs> um, I didn't think it was, it was brilliant. I'm not sure I like the extra turn. Yeah, that's they what put I'm in at the bottom. I, I know boring. why they've done it, and I completely accept that. I did it. I don't know if they need to try another way because it just looked really weird with people going through the. I don't know if it's allowed to be called the Red Bull Jump, but the Red Bull Jump, um, and then just immediately just doing like a short swing to throw a turn in. It just. I don't know whether it's going to take a few more years of people being used to that being the line over the jump because. The amount of people that just landed and went, oh, I'm on the wrong side of the hill. Uh, no, no, it just didn't. Hole, actually, wasn't there? The, uh, yeah, the it just didn't quite down. feel right, and it, people still kind of were sneaking inside that next gate. But it didn't. I don't know. It didn't. It didn't quite feel right, and it might just be because for, for pretty much our entire lives we've seen it go one way, and and now it looks different. So it doesn't. It doesn't quite seem right. And, and obviously not having the top section as well made it, um, you know, a, a, a bit a bit easier. But I, I'll be interested to see if 
they stick with that gate Marcel, where it is for the next couple of years. Marcel, why did you find it boring? Was it what what was wrong with it? You know what, like I mean the second the second day was probably a bit more interesting. Um I mean the first bit was obviously missing in the first race, but I felt like you get all of the excitement at the end of Kitsville, you know, and you know, okay, there was guys are tired. Like, I mean, I don't want anyone to get injured, but I just it's like when it's like stick. when it's <laughs> <laughs> when it's rough and bumpy. I love that. And also, I mean, I'm almost getting a whiplash just looking at the uh, at the drone cam. It's like left, right, center. Like, I don't think that's the right thing to do there either. So I just thought it was like it didn't. They try something with the drone cam. I don't think it works, but I, I do think there's space for it. I'd, I'd love to have seen a bit higher up so you can sort of see a bit of a bird's eye view of some of it, just to show, try and show people like I don't know the the, the distance that it covers and stuff like that. But yeah, that was a bit funky. That drone cam. I mean, the whole reason about that they changed that that set into the traverse is to try and slow people down for that final jump yeah, that worked really well and they were still doing 142 kilometers an hour instead of 145 kilometers an hour which so um they, i mean they might have they might have said it was to do with that last jump but to me it was always the nets above it and the amount of people that when they try and get into the traverse and lose a ski or, or, or as marcel was rightly said exhausted and just can't get the pressure on like that that bit to me, I mean, obviously, having not skied it, what do I know? But that bit always looked more scary than the jump because generally by the time you're at the jump, you might be exhausted, but your skis are pointing down the hill. I know we've seen people land and get compressed and have bad crashes, but I, I always seem to think the, the bit above it, trying to hang on to that outside ski with the nets flying towards you, always looked way more terrifying uh, to as, as far as I was concerned. So I thought that was... But you know, but, it seemed like what's that? What more like what they were trying to do than than make the jump safer? Like you said, they still got up to 140 odd and flew off it anyway. The problem is, I, I'm all for safety, and I think it, it needs to be like safe for everyone. And and I mean, no one wants to see like a big crash where someone like rips the knee apart or some whatever. But you can't if you have downhill in Kitsville, like everyone who's starting out of that gate is well aware that it can go wrong and you can't take the excitement away from the spectators because I, because I realistically ski racing doesn't have that many highlights, like highlights like kids building a year. And that traverse is like one of the biggest highlights of the whole I mean, year. And it's the, just taking it away. Yeah, no, I do. I do get it. And as when I skied there, that was one of the, I don't know, I was skiing an iconic part of the racetrack when I came across there. So you kind of like, you know, this part of what you're doing. I, I, I don't know. I think it's really difficult. Maybe the, they, they're trying to make it safer. They're trying not to lose the spectacle, but it's a, it's a really, really fine balance. And I'm not, well, they definitely, they didn't find the right balance. And who knows if they will. I, I'm not really sure what the answer is. They tried to slow people down into traverse, didn't really have the desired effect. Um, was it safer? I don't know if it was safer because by Ben's point about how they land and have to do basically a short swing and jump across into that initiation phase, there was a massive great big hole on the, basically where you wanted to start your turn or pretty much through the whole of that second race, because obviously you'd had 60 people doing it on day one and then, you know, 30, 40 people doing it on day two. So by the time you got to the end of that 30, all of a sudden it was like a massive great big hole and that created its own challenges with people missing gates. Um, I don't know is the answer. 
Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily need to be solved immediately. Like I said, it may be that in a couple of years or people, you know, these are the best gears in the world, give them a few more training runs at it and they might be able to work out that a, a better line or a better approach to that that, that works. It nah. may be that in... No? Nah. No. No training okay. runs anymore. No. Like, like I think that's how we're going to keep it exciting. They're going to be blindfolded and that's, uh, you know, and they're going to turn by drone cam. They're going to listen to that thing buzzing and they just have to follow the buzzing. And Claret is still going to be in the volume. Claret is going to win because he knows it already. Um, but yeah, anyway, so yeah, I don't think it quite worked. The second race was better, off, wasn't it, from the start? Big jump off the Mausafala. Um, not as big as it used to be again. Um, but ooh. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, nice to see Beat Foyts finding some form. First World Cup win of the season. Odomat looked like he was pretty much about to take his first World Cup downhill win and then got caught out slightly by the entry into Traverse. Um, and then... Uh, Mayo was fourth Hemetsberger came down. Oh, he was bib number one, wasn't he? Yeah, nice Definitely. work from him. You can see what it means. Again, downhill at Kitzbühel. Kitzbühel just is... But I think he was the perfect revenge for the for the Swiss um, in Austria. True. From like, For the wing and race, they've lost to Kriegmeier. Yes. And I think they love it more than anything else. <laughs> I certainly think they do. Heads must roll from the Austrian team. But... I mean, fair play to Foyts. I never thought he would beat Odermatt on that on his run, and he's he was still quite a bit quicker. So I think he's gonna be he's gonna be hot for the Olympics. Yeah, just at the right time, peaking, peaking good at the right time. Got um, What? No, go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm just gonna move. No, I, was just... About, I was just about to keep us moving on something else. Oh, why? It's only. Five to ten, five to eleven. So. <laughs> it's been a really long day. I've talked about skiing a lot today. Yeah, and I, I, I have some feedback for that later as well, but I'm not going to put it on the podcast. <laughs> I do not need your feedback, thank you. Uh, <laughs> the women were racing in Cortina. Boring. <laughs> <laughs> Just boring everything. Just cut it. Set some fireworks off. It'll be fine. No, the women were racing in Cortina um, um, with some brilliant conditions. Uh, Goggia looked back in classic Goggia form right on the ragged edge uh, in the downhill uh, and picked up the win. And obviously, subsequently, we know what happened after that. But what do you guys make of the Cortina spectacle? It looked beautiful. Like that region and the, that bit of the Dolomites just looks incredible. And the fact that obviously while well, the guys had the not great light and chucking down with snow, um, the conditions just looked so perfect in uh, in Cortina. I, it just makes me want to ski there. But that track looks really fun. It, I don't know if you ever raced there on any like Europa Cup stuff, but it looks really fun. Uh, they, uh, we talked about it a bit with with Wenger now. It gets quite quite narrow in places, and, and they use all of the mountain. It really looks like they sweep around a lot, and there's a lot of terrain to take in. And we mentioned a couple times. It, it will be it will be. I think awesome to see women racing more challenging hills. And I definitely think this is this is one of them. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Cortina is always such a treat, isn't it? And they usually get the good weather as well. I don't know. Maybe you should analyze that. Why they always have good weather? Maybe we should do all of the World Cups there, um, where we won't have to worry about leaves or excessive snowfall or whatever else. Um, but yeah, like like you said, uh, Godia was was her usual self. She she very nearly 
took to uh, took a a fall in the in the first race. I think she kind of uh, they posted a clip of one of her turns where I think one of her boot knocked her other ski up in the air and she had to jump back onto it to finish a turn. It was just like any Goggia run ever. You just can't watch a, a run without hiding behind a cushion or something. But it's so it's so tricky for her, isn't it? Like last year, she missed the Cortina World Champs just with an injury before. And now Beijing most likely as well, which is like, it's gutting for her. Yeah, so it is so tough because, but then... If you ski like her, you probably have to... That's my point. Like she just skis, she's so on the limit and past the limit that that every single time she puts on skis, her coaches must be worried about her in inspection. <laughs> she just is constantly near death on her skis. And she's, but that's why she's so fast because she's ridiculously loose and takes all these risks. And that's why she's super exciting to watch. But it, um, Stephen Hoffer, Austrian on the podium again. The Austrians must be enjoying that, wasn't they? Well, I think it's better. They're more happy with the downhill and super G than they are with the GS and the slalom. Mm. Um, but you know who I thought would be like, who is back on the podium? Esther Ledechka. She's going to get ready for the Olympic Games as well. <laughs> Bringing the heat once every four years. I was, I was, I was, yeah, I was, I was su- not surprised, but I was beginning to wonder this year if she quite found her form because I, th- I think she had like one. I think like maybe top three or four in a training run. But apart from that, she'd really not looked anywhere near the speed she normally does. Um, so, yeah, like you said, perf- absolutely perfect timing um, for her uh, going into the Olympics. But, I, I, yeah, with, with Godger, it's a tough one because, you know, if she was in any way concerned about kind of resting up for the Olympics, she had that crash last weekend that we said, you know, that could have been a lot worse. And then she, she just there there is no holding back. There, she only has one speed, and that's and that's full speed. Um, but she she wasn't the only one as well. So not, uh, I, I managed not to pick her this week. But uh, Breezy to, had another crash in training, and and she's now said she's not going to be able to compete in the Olympics. And she skis very similarly, where it's kind of like for maybe not win or bust, but podium or or or, or the net uh, seems to be her approach as well. So you know it's. It's awesome to watch when people just lay it all on the line, but at the same time, it's heartbreaking when they don't get to be there for the Olympics. Yes, it is tough, because Breezy missed out on Zalkin's though, didn't she? Because she picked up that crash where she'd cut her knee, uh, and then she was all super psyched to come back to Cortina, because obviously this is this one of the biggest spectacles and the, the most exciting women's speed races on the tour. It's iconic, like you say, it's always mega. And so all of a sudden she just, uh, yeah, big crash into the nets and did a neat and um, no more uh, ski racing for her. But then, yeah, the Super G turned around and that crash, oh my word, from Goggia. Somehow she's hoping at the moment to still be um, racing, but she put some cryptic messages out on social media with uh, talking about, you know, what will be will be basically and love hearts and broken hearts and, all this sort of stuff, which was, um, I don't know, it, with the size of that crash, surely it's not possible. I don't know. I mean, her emotions must be just as much as a roller coaster as her skiing, really. Can you imagine? Yeah. yeah. You and don't, the, like, yeah, the I mean, I, I bet she's going to go anyway and just see how it goes there because, I mean, realistically, she's, she's not old, but she's not the youngest anymore. 
So you never know what happens in four years' time. It might be her last Olympics chance. I don't know. Although it's not like she's the only one that can uh, podium in the speed events now. In, in other years, you might have said she was the only one with a chance. But as, as we saw in the, the Super G, Catoni uh, was there. Brignoni was just off the podium as well. You know, the the, the Italian teams, they've, they've got options now. Whereas if, women's if she was, speed depth is mega, isn't it? If, she, if they only had just her and no one else, you know, you can almost imagine the Federation saying, look, we'll just duct tape your knees on and away you go, you'll be fine. Um, we, You know, we need you at 50% might still get on the podium um, if you don't end up in the net. So, you know, they're, they're, they don't have to push her to race. Obviously, it, the decision is going to be down to her anyway. But um, the, the yeah, the depth on that Italian team is, is, is brilliant. And I saw a few people complaining online that the, Super G was too, I want to say too GS-like. Yeah, somebody mentioned, I can't remember where it was, but somebody was like, does it need to be as hard as it was uh, in terms of like in the build-up to the Olympic Games? But yes, I mean, I don't see why you'd, you know, just because it's the Olympic Games, you didn't set something that's really easy that they can just float down and and it loses a spectacle. Otherwise, what's the point in them even bother racing the rest of the season if you if your game is only about to preserve them for the Olympic Games, put them in cotton wool and wait yeah, for them. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Put them on a slow boat to the, China. It was, it was interesting as some of the, uh, I guess, not necessarily GS specialists, but the people we see a lot in GSs did, did end up quite high on, on that uh, result sheet. So obviously Gizim was third, Brignoni fourth, Tessa was, was sixth. Um, but that Alice was the Robinson same in Zalkinze. Yeah, but it's the same in Zalkinze. And Zalkinze wasn't, you know, that's a pretty. I mean, yes, it had some tight turns in it, but it wasn't a GS Super G. It was a mixture of the two of them that had very high speed turns and very technical turns. But that's Super G, no? Yeah, to be honest with you, provided over the course of the season you have some Super Gs that are closer to downhills and some that are closer to like, like, late, as long as like it's a late not, Louise. Yeah, as long as it's not just like too much of one thing all season so that you know the, the speed skiers don't think that the you know the people that are more tech get more of an advantage and that's what i think you're seeing like you said like lake louise is is, is basically like a more of a downhill than a super g and if if some of these are have some slightly tight turns in it then 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 so be it but you whatever course they set you get to look at it and you need to decide what your strategy is and how you're going to ski it. So saying, oh, I can't go fast as fast as I want, or I can't go dead straight, then you know, adjust accordingly. I mean, it's not that there were a couple of hairpins in there. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Costler's probably sneaking into the course and like setting, resetting a couple of gates. Just a couple of Mickey Mouse turns in the middle. <laughs> Oh, dear, it's got that far. Um, but yeah, but also at the same time, you've got, um, you know, the coaches get to set. This is it's not sort of set by the hill. It's not set by the resort or anything. It's set by coaches and, the, and those coaches that get to set are dictated um, by performances in the standings. So yeah, all in all, I think, I think a little bit too much moaning a bit. And I think, you know, the, the girls need to be challenged just like the boys need to be challenged. So, yeah. I think it's going to be interesting looking at the Olympics. Um, no one knows what it's going to be like, which makes it most interesting. Yeah, in terms of course setting, that's going to be challenging because I remember last year in Cortina when the men skied down the first time. Do you guys remember the Super G? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
little shimmy. The little sh- that was what. Oh yeah, that's cool. Sir, was it Creek Mile like went over the road? We're just like, oh, the gate's on the other side of the hill. <laughs> just like chucked in a massive snowplow, essentially to make sure that he didn't go too fast. This this is what I'd like. This is what I like to see. This is exciting. <laughs> Marcel, you don't want to see good racing. You just want to see mental corsets. No, I do. I carnage. No, but I do want to see good racing. But I think if you have a couple of like those gates in there where people actually have to think. If you, is Ivica been staying at your house? Is Ivica in London at the moment? <laughs> well, he's he's behind me <laughs> telling you what to say. <laughs> he, he, he sent me the script from Zagreb. Because <laughs> apparently we are, very, we, are not, we are a very popular podcast in Croatia, apparently. So. No, not, not after not after not that. After uh, not after this argument. <laughs> that I would have been taken down. Um, You're all no, but to be fair, to be fair, how excited the corset for day, for that second run in um, in Kitzbühel was was something a bit odd, wasn't it? it wasn't out of the sort of uh, corsetting handbook, and it provided some pretty exciting racing. So from that is definitely Kostelich going. Yeah, I told you so. It shouldn't just be left, right, left, right, and see at the bottom. Mate, that was how many? How many didn't finish? Did not finish? Did we have like twelve or something? I've never. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think what was it? There was like eighteen in the finish, and I'm pretty sure at least three of those were people that had sort of come out and gone back in. There must be a record, Ben. Ben, <laughs> I don't know. I'll check later. Uh, <laughs> I do. I do genuinely think Kostadish is sitting at home, hoping he can set a course pretty soon. He's, he has it in his head. I know he has. And he will have like this little black book where he writes his course setting in there. And then he's like trying to figure out how can he make sure that there are at least 13 or 14 people didn't finish on his course. That's his. That's what he's going to do 100%. <laughs> just, just crazy But back on back on that um, Super Tube before we move on, again, this is another race that there were 16 people within a second. Oh, Schifrin was 101 um, off the pace in, in 16, which in itself was quite strange because I, I, I'm still struggling to work out quite what's going on with, with, with her skiing at the moment. Um, Ed, I think you said a, a couple of times she's struggled more than people might have realised coming back from when she had COVID. But the, the speed and the, the timing just doesn't look there, regardless of whether her legs and lungs have the energy. Um, it, it, just seeing her that far back in a in a in a speed race, not that she's a specialist in it, but just it's just not it's not well, like her in a technical super G as well. Like you said, like you said, this corset was a very technical super G, so you would have thought it would play to her advantages, really. Um, but I think uh, yeah, it's great that we're seeing tight ski racing across the board. Let's go over to Kromplatz because we'll sort of continue with that shiffering thread, I think. Um, but uh, Sarah Hector continued what is turning out to be pretty dominant form in the GS at the moment. Petra Vlahova becoming very consistent now that it feels like she's picked up the Slan Tour title and is a bit more relaxed on the GS skis. Tessa Worley, uh, I think if you told me that she would have been on the podium three times in the 2022 World Cup season, I would have told you, Ben, shut the hell up because that's not going to happen. Uh, but so, but I did she's... tell you. I told you exactly that. <laughs> and I never listened to you. Because um, <laughs> I've said it for about a decade straight and this will be the first time it's actually happened. But yeah. that's not the point. <laughs> but Schif- and, Sch- and Schifrin was fourth. But yeah, no, Ben, I think your, your point about Schifrin, she definitely isn't 
at her best at the moment and at the risk of now alienating the Croatians and the Americans, I feel like uh, Schiffrin really... There's not much it, left, mate. Yeah, we're, we're struggling now because the Brits don't like us anyway. Um, but I, I kind of feel like that she, she's, and I said it in commentary today, but I, I, I don't know, I think she's working harder than she's ever had to work before in terms of being towards the sharp end because we're used to just seeing her put on the skis and ski with that beautiful technique that she's got and win races and I feel like it's not quite clicking I don't she's definitely not skiing at her best but it isn't quite clicking and she's working really hard and getting frustrated that it's not coming together potentially for the first time in her career I don't know whether I've, I've seen a DNF before obviously and I've seen it go wrong but then she's always come back and I kind of feel like she's she's struggling a little bit to try and fix this one and figure it out and get back to that dominant form yeah, I can't. I can't work it out. Obviously, I'm, you know, not coaching people at this kind of level. Um, so, you know, the the margins are so small. But like you said, when you see her and you see her make mistakes, you're like, okay, well, that's a mistake on a run. Whereas, like you said, the moment it just seems like the the top of the turn's not there. She just seems to be drifting a lot more, and that's never been her technique. Normally, she puts them out and just the turn starts immediately. And watching certainly the second run. Sarah Hector had that, like when some people were starting to, to kind of bounce across the top of the ruts, she literally just, every time she put her edges on, they just picked up and away the turn went. And that's what we used to seeing from, from Schifrin. It just doesn't quite look there at the moment. And no doubt knowing the, the absolute, you know, legend that she is, she'll turn around and just absolutely smash everyone at the Olympics now. Um, but it's, it's very strange seeing her struggle this much with, what she's been so, I guess, come so naturally the rest of her career. And that, that's the weirdest thing to watch. Go on, Marcel, technical yeah. analysis. Yeah, what about your, come on, bring, bring your GS superstardom to... to that's to the only discipline I don't have a clue about. That's the one you don't have a clue about. All right, good. Thanks for your input. <laughs> <laughs> Downhills, no, yes. GS, no. <laughs> Course setting from Croatia, tick with my little black book. <laughs> I'm not talking about a ski across here. <laughs> uh, come on, no. go. Um, I do think you know it's 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 a hard it's a hard period if you always. This sounds maybe horrible, but spoiled with success, and then you come through a phase where you are but it just doesn't come together. It's going to be, it's going to be, it's really tough for athletes and especially her, because I, I know she had like all the problems in private and like her, whatever she had in a couple of years back. Um, but she was still kind of on her, on her top form when she was there, but now she's there, but she's not on her top form. And it's obviously hard to see when others are like picking up the, the big points. Like, I mean, Lahova is so close now, and I am. I'm, I'm, away, isn't she? I'm I'm intrigued to see how she's going to handle that because it's going to be it's going to be tricky for her, but obviously, never, never stop believing in a Michaela Schifrin, obviously, because she will be always somewhere on the top. But I hope she can find that form where it's like winning on a regular basis. But yeah, maybe I the Olympics. Yeah, I think. Um... I mean, if anybody's got the, the skill set and the people around her to do it, it's probably her, isn't it? But um, somebody on the other end of the spectrum that can almost do no wrong 
is uh, Sarah Hector at the moment. Just she just looks like she's on the rails on those skis at the moment. They just seem to be good like, old head skis she has there. You think? Um, you think maybe Pantero should ask to borrow them? <laughs> oh, probably. <laughs> <laughs> couldn't, couldn't harm. <laughs> but uh, no, no, she, she, but she's, good. What, she's fine. She, she's such a good skier. And she had like a couple of rough years as well. Like, I mean, not never be really back, but but still like somewhere in the middle. And then all of a sudden, it's like I'm back, winning three races, having two podiums. So heads up to her as well because she has fought through it. Yeah, I definitely think something has has clicked for her this year because she was one of those people that would would be able to like kind of get there or thereabouts previously even even before kind of injuries and bits whereas this year she suddenly just a, a bit like we saw with Leansberger last year she suddenly realized that when she skis her best she can belong on that you know any step of the podium with with the likes of Schifrin and uh Vlahova and Tessa um and uh, <laughs> and uh yeah, and, and just you see that belief in her skiing every single run. And it's it's amazing how much like confidence and belief in yourself really matters in this sport. So you know, on one hand, you've got Schifrin who looks like, like Ed, you probably put it quite well. She, she's kind of fighting her way down. And, and Hector, who you'd normally think of as more of a kind of, of a fighting her way down skier, is is floating down like we normally see Schifrin do. So it's amazing that the kind of turnaround that just that supreme confidence in yourself can can have. And I really enjoyed her interview at the bottom. I'm not sure if you guys would have seen it because you guys have real jobs. And um, But uh, she was talking about, I don't know, she just gave this really humble interview, just lots of smiling, lots of laughing, saying that she didn't really know, you know, all of a sudden she's found this form. And um, and then the lady said, you know, you're now the, the one to beat surely on the GS tour. And she just was couldn't, you know, she just sort of g- almost giggled in terms of, you know, no, no, it's not me sort of thing. But you're not- couldn't believe that it was happening to her it's such a nice refreshing new face on the tour that's you know taken it to the rest of the field I, th- I think it's even more impressive that well she started in the past she won a world cup race like 2014 or something like yeah. that and then she fought all the way through but then you would think okay maybe someone comes back and wins a race or podiums or something like that but she's now doing it on a very constant base over yeah. the whole season and I think that's the most impressive because we always talk about, oh, can he back it up? Like, is it a one-hit wonder, blah, blah, blah. But she really shows that she is actually belongs there, like on the podium and, and winning races because she does it like on a constant base. And I think that's something that's really impressive about her besides the fact that she's very humble, obviously. Um, ben, do you want to give us some words on Tessa Worley before we rattle on to the uh, slalom from Schladming? She's great, isn't she? Like she's got that. She's, I mean, she's skiing with a with a bit of renewed confidence as well. And certainly on 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 hills like that, where the where the conditions are good and you can let those skis run, but also there are turns in there that you really have to just stand on your ski and really make sure it happens. I think there was a couple over the rollers today that people were just kind of flying off to the side or just really not getting on that ski or not. Not chickening out, but just taking the safe option of of just turning the ski sideways rather than really trusting them. And you know, Tess will never be accused of that. And like you said, Marcel's Hector being the person to beat. She's got a hundred point lead over over Tessa in the GS standings, and Schifrin's just behind it behind Tessa in third. You, you'd be surprised if you said we got six races in and 
Schifrin was 100 points off and it wasn't Vlahova leading. Yeah, uh, that, and, you're, and Tessa being the second most consistent on the GS Tour in terms of World Cup points shows that she's, um, you know, they're pure, you know, those, these results are purely on merit because she's there, she's there or thereabouts in, in pretty much all the races so far this season. Um, just quickly on um, the ladies' GS side before we move away, uh, Alice Robinson was battling her way down. She's just, she's, she, you can see how much she wants it, but it's just, it's so much aggression and not for me just needs to find a bit of a balance between that aggression, but also trying to work with the hill rather than using her strength and power and fighting against the hill. What did you guys make of, of her performance? I'm not sure. She's just lost a bit of the, the touch she had last year. I know she's been training a lot more speed. Certainly the, the uh, something, a lot of social media posts have, have been going up of her on the, on the long boards. Um, but yeah, like, I would agree. It does look like she's, Everything's just trying to fight, fight against power, the hill and power against the hill. Yeah, trying to trying to force everything. Whereas, as as we've seen from some of the best people in the world, power is absolutely brilliant and can, you know, get your skis to do things that others can't. But you, you still need the timing uh, and the precision of of how and when. You can't just slam your edges on as hard as you you can at any given moment. You, you still need to, you know, be able to finesse getting the edge grip before you apply that power and, and it just yeah it just looks like her timing's a little off but again she's someone who's I mean you're never quite sure how much people have suffered from COVID but she certainly had it and was locked away in a room for a, a week and a bit um, which, which you know these racers are used to being on the hill all the time so when you're then told to sit at home for a week or sit in a hotel room for a week you must play havoc with with just your your, your basics really I mean, let's not forget she's 20 19. years old. Yeah. I mean, she's she's had wins and podiums already, which is ridiculous at that age. So it's it's probably quite good for her to go through like a phase where she's like maybe finding herself, finding the feet again, and then she will be coming back. Um, I have no doubt about that because she's a great skier. Uh, and maybe and... she will come back with like being more consistent because that's what was missing. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and uh, Alex Tilly, back from her injury, great to see her on skis, ended up with a DNF, probably one of the hardest places to come and try and test out a uh, newly um, uh, pinned, broken, a former broken ankle so, <laughs> on on that dark, icy, rutted, uh, sort of juddery World Cup piece and from Bib 37 and not an easy outing on a... Uh, on that leg but hopefully um no major damage I spoke to one of her coaches Paul Telling and he was saying that um you know it was a bit sore but no no lasting damage and she's just going to try and find her feet before the Olympic Games but she's uh, they're coming around thick and fast and as we know the women's GS is um just around the corner uh anything to add on that or should we spin into Schladming yeah last one to take it Schladming was the men's night slalom event, the iconic night slalom. Uh, and it was another, um, not a classic race, but a classic race of 2020 World Cup season with some crazy results, some huge charges on the second run. Uh, so 2020, what year are you in? 2022, what did I say? You said 2020. Not 2020. Uh, just a long pause before. It's I had to... in the 20s. 
No, yeah. <laughs> 2022. Lena Strasser <laughs> picked up the win. Uh, second was Atlee Lee McGrath from Norway picking up a podium in slalom to match his uh, teammate uh, efforts over the last couple of weeks. And then third was um, a superb second round fight from Manu Fella. Marcel, go. I mean, how the hell do people always come from like 29, 30, 28 onto the podium? I don't understand. <laughs> it's actually getting a bit ridiculous. Ben, there must be another stat on how often that's happened, please. I do. I mean, I swear to God, guys, this is like, when, when do I start getting to give you guys homework? It's <laughs> this, outrageous. This, this would be such an interesting stat. How many, because this year it must have been like four or five races already. Where people... It does. It's definitely happening a lot more. Than, yeah. than usual I, mean, I, I, maybe... I, I would agree but at the same time Manny Fellow was bib one what was he doing in 28th or 6th or whatever he was after the first run like it's it's, it's, it's one thing someone you know starting in the in the 40s and, and getting into 30th and then doing it you know it was absolutely flew it was tactical it was... He, he, he said that he wanted to be right at the back end so he went purposefully slow on run one so he could do a second run charge he just didn't want to. He just didn't want to be like in the finish too long after the first round. Just like he wanted the glory and the camera time of them just keep cutting to him and him going, "Oh, ah, yeah." That's basically what it was. And he was he was playing the role as well. He's like, "Oh, oh it looked like he just wanted to go home." Possible another one. <laughs> <laughs> While he was having the timing on his on his lap. Yeah, no, it was a good. It was um, yeah, it was a good race though. Enjoyable, nice, uh, nice set of races. Big guns, not necessarily firing on all cylinders again. Still wide open, isn't it? That yeah. slalom World Cup, who's going to win that slalom? I think you, you would get like some really good odds right now if you would put money on people because it's so close. Anyone can win it. Anyone up to, I mean, I think the 20th, 20th place something has like 100 points and the first has like 250 and there are still four slaloms to go. So it's like nothing, basically. Right. No, two in Garmisch, one in Kranzkar. No, three. Three races left, yeah, unless they put on, unless they put on the, an extra one, which there's rumours of doing in Reiteralm after, after Garmisch before World Cup finals. Yeah. Is that because of the it's one, the best one in, um, yeah, in uh, Zagreb? That, that hasn't been confirmed yet. There's, it's just um, the Austrians have obviously gone, yeah, we'll do it. And everyone's gone, <laughs> shut up, Austria. You're not taking another World Cup. Um, I mean, just do another one actually happening. Wait till what? later in the season when they can get more fans and do it properly. It's fine. The thing is, like, right arm is easy for everyone because that's where all the people everyone train trains anyway. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> hey, let's have a let's have a little training race run here. Just, uh, just they, I'm sure they've got times there already. They'll just say that they ran it the other day and just pick out some training times. They do have a nice. It's, it's actually a nice slope. Um, and they've got a really nice restaurant there. The food's really good. It is. it is. They do have some. They have really good burgers up there. <laughs> house, no, what was it called? I can't remember. It's like a steak burger or something. Uh, they have a house toast. House, house toast. toast. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> we digress. By the way, just if, a, just a bit. If the, if the listeners don't understand, we're just moving in more like the hospitality podcast like now instead of <laughs> we've alienated all the listeners and now we're going to try and demolish another sector um but yeah and then and Atlee Lee McGrath that was a pretty I love the, his emotion again seeing him you know how, how much it means for him to get that win again coming back from the injury pick up a world cup podium and I, I said it in comms but the Norwegians 
seem to have some weird uh, duo over their history with Cuse and Ormott, then uh, Svindal and Yandrud, and now uh, Bratton and um, Atli Lee McGrath. I don't know what it is that, you know, how that they managed to pick up these little duos, but those two guys are going to be pushing each other for the rest of their careers for the next 15 years. Hopefully I mean, you know, Foss Solovag's knocking around that group as well. I know he's not as young as those guys, but, you know, you've got Foss Solovag and Christofferson. Their tech team must be hilarious. Uh, obviously, Christofferson trades by himself. But can you imagine watching those guys train if they were train on the same on the same uh, slope at and the same time? It would be it would be brilliant to watch. Yeah, that's such a big advantage, isn't it? If you have like people around you that are just as good or a bit better than you, and you learn so much, and you just like push yourself to the limit. And actually. I mean- you know what, Christopherson probably would be good for him to train with them because they are at least the same level as he is at the moment. We're seeing such a good side of Christopherson at the moment, aren't we? He's he's like the bad boy turned good. That he's, yeah, he's such a so, good boy now, isn't he? He's doing so nice to everybody, like all the all the celebrations that he had with the uh, with Dave, uh, and then he took put a really nice bit on social media about you know he only missed the podium by like three or three hundredths or something today, and so he was pleased for his teammate and all this sort of stuff. I don't know, yeah, he's bad boy turned good, or he has a good PR agency now. So. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, Henrik, say something nice now. <laughs> Enough of those antics. Just be nice. <laughs> smile and say well done to some other people okay it's I working kind of, it's I working kind of miss them. i kind of miss this little tantrums in the you know what I, I miss i hope that we see glimpses of it it was annoying when that was all we saw from him um he's like 28th and he's like oh that's not too bad actually <laughs> back in the days he would have broken like six skis and five poles and a couple of helmets and a, a couple of his coaches as well no doubt <laughs> But um, no, no, it, yeah. So it's, it's that's pretty cool to see. Uh, Billy Major scoring a very, very credible 18th position. Um, he, I think he's been talking about a bit of the pressure coming that comes with being selected for the Olympic Games when some of his teammates haven't been selected, uh, and a really, really vital um, result here today. And he beat a World Cup winner as well. Yeah, D- Dave looked absolutely knackered, didn't he? Yeah, really. Um, but watching uh, the first two splits on the second run, I was like, "This, this is looking good. He's looking solid. He's looking, you know, he's looking strong." And then by the time he got to the third split, I was like, "Oh, he's got nothing. He's got nothing left in the tank." Um, I think the the downside of of being thirty five and having all that experience is when they put those six slaloms in his face for about three weeks. Uh, you you know it yeah, definitely and then, and then you win one, win <laughs> one and spend the next like 24, 48 hours just doing interviews and running here, there and everywhere and everybody wanting a piece and saying congratulations and well done and surprised he's not doesn't stayed up to, to do the pod to be honest with you. I mean, Dave if you're listening I'm a bit disappointed. He, he asked to but I told him we didn't need to speak to him. <laughs> That's right, we got Marcel. <laughs> not after that major result from Billy, actually. <laughs> a new kid in town. No, I mean, uh, yeah, Billy was, I think he was 14th fastest on the second run. So, I mean, you know, that's when, when, he, when he's looking back at that, he might want to be higher up. But the fact that you can look at those, t- those splits and those times and say, you know what, that's, you know, a slap bang in the middle of this field. That's that's where I'm aiming for moving forwards. That, yeah, I, I think sets. that's really good for him as well. Yeah, decent <laughs> set of stones on him to push that hard on the second run in your first second on in your first second run. 
shows that uh, he is finally putting down some of that pace. And, and you know, it's really nice to see him get an ch- opportunity on a smooth racetrack to really prove what he's got and what he's about. Because, again, another person that we hear a lot about in training, that he's going really quickly and he pushes, you know, yada, 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 team, you know, handbook, handbook, handbook. and But then to really deliver it on the plan I was pretty epic. I think you have, I think the coaches really need a praise for the whole team. If you, if you look at them, if you wouldn't know which nation they're coming from, like where they're coming from, whatever, which bib they have, they, him, like obviously Dave and also Laurie Taylor, they all look so solid. You can see that they're really working on, on like solid skiing where you can use that as a foundation to then be quick. Yeah. And I think the, the British ski team and the coaching staff and servicemen and everyone is doing such a great job there. Because you can you can see there is like a handwriting of what they want to have in a ski racer, and they're really like trying to put that into into the races. And I think that's very that's very very good to see. And I'm I'm sure they will have like some good results ahead. Yeah. Uh, another just just quickly before we move off and and leave you all, um, Benjamin Ritchie for the American team was pretty tidy as well, wasn't he? For the world former world junior champ looking. Like the the Americans have, have uh, finally got some him and Luke Winters putting down some performances. We we've seen glimpses of Winters over the last couple of seasons, but again, consistency's been uh, missing. Last couple of races, he's done really well when it counts before the Olympic Games to get selected, um, and then Benjamin Ritchie putting up a really good performance in that uh, in the race in in uh, Schladming as well. Yeah, I mean those those guys. They've got a fun-looking young group um, coming through, so I'm quite looking forward to see what they they do in in the future as well. And all of these results just get everyone basically just hyped for the Olympics. It's going to be great fun. Nice one. All right, guys, we're going to call it a day there. There are two races coming up this weekend. Is that what you're going to breathe in and breathe out and say there, man? With that big breath. With that. Big I was going to say, I know, I know, we're rubbish at picks, but do we need to do any? Uh, well, we've got a downhill in Garmisch for the women and a Super G um, for the women. The thing, I, I, the only thing I'm saying that why maybe we don't pick on the pod is because there are plenty of people that are not going to turn up um, because of uh, the Olympic schedule and stuff. So I think actually we will wait and just put our picks in with everybody else. Uh, I have nearly done all of the picks finally, and I am now up to date. I've just got to plug in the numbers for tonight's races uh, and I will update that um, tomorrow, uh, which is today, depending when you listen to this, because it is going to be today because I'm not doing it tonight. Uh, so Here is the, the million dollar question. Who picked Dave? Or did anyone? Yes, people did pick Dave. Let me bring you... Uh, you pick him. Who, there were two people that picked Dave for the win in Kitzbühel. Oh, and one of them was Charles Sainer picked Dave. So that's ballsy considering you all know that it is not allowed to pick Dave. So ballsy... I mean- <laughs> Technically, I'm not allowed to pick Dave. I don't know if all of the listeners have been given the same instructions or if it's just me that's not allowed to. Ivan Ivan Sablich from the the Croatians, but he won't be listening now anyway because we've... (laughs) He's just checking in on the results. (laughs) Uh, So, but yeah, and uh, and I think I've I've actually yet to plug in uh, some of the people who have got 
that's I've only plugged in half of that slalom results yet. So there may be a couple of others, but those are the ones. I that... think they deserve 10 points for the win, actually. Yeah, I, I, I've got 10 points as well coming my way. <laughs> Fairly sure we ran through this and you've got zero points coming your no, way. No, no, I've, um, I've, I've found some points from somewhere. Um, I just oh. them. <laughs> from Marcel's uh, column, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ed, if you speak to Dave, ask him if I'm allowed to pick him now, because that would be useful information uh, for the rest of the season. It's going to be Tessa, Dave, Tessa, Dave, Tessa, Dave. It'll make the podcast way quicker when we get to the picks. Yeah, you can shut it to our <laughs> Pantero down there. I'm not going to pick him anymore. <laughs> um, right, guys, uh, that's all we got time for. Uh, until next time. Bye for now. <laughs>